0: Intrauterine insemination, intrauter, intra, intrauterine, intrauterine insemination. You see how I'm saying that? It's a new word for. Me. <laughs> how about you? People come into parenthood in all kinds of ways. Sometimes it's diligently planned out. And sometimes it's accidental and alarming. Whether through adoption, fostering, surrogacy, or the old-fashioned way, becoming a parent can be conventional, unconventional, surprising, and almost always terrifying. But sometimes achieving parenthood is difficult and requires medical intervention. I understand this firsthand. When me and my ex-wife were trying for our first child, we went through in vitro fertilization. It didn't work. And I'll be honest, it wasn't the fun process making a baby is supposed to be. We were lucky enough to conceive naturally right after our unsuccessful IVF cycle. And now I'm blessed with two beautiful daughters. But I know it's not always like that. Sometimes even the most advanced medical technologies come up short. Leaving couples with unanswered questions and crushed hopes of becoming parents.
1: And why
2: can't I do the one thing my uterus is made to do? Wait, like, why?
0: Why do I have to jump through all these hoops? What happens when doctors can't figure it out? When a woman is told she has unexplained infertility, what toll does that take on her marriage, her friendships? her relationship with her own body.
2: I feel like my body is failing me.
0: And herself.
2: It's just really frustrating when you have these dreams, and you the things that you really, really want, the things that other people can get so easily.
0: From WBZ Chicago, this is The Trouble with Shannon Kaysen. On today's episode, one woman's desperate struggle for motherhood for the past 10 years. So when, when did you decide you wanted to be a mom?
1: I think I've always wanted to be a mom. Having a child call me mom, I guess. I, I wanted a child to call me mom.
0: <laughs> um, this is Trisha. She's 36 years old, and she and her husband live outside of Chicago. They've been together for 15 years, and from the beginning, they've wanted children together. In fact, Trisha always talked about how many kids she was going to have, even when she was just a kid herself. I'm
1: like, oh, I would love to have two or three, you know, obviously before you realize what goes into being a parent. But, <laughs> but when I was younger, it was I knew I was going to go to college and I was going to graduate college, and then I was going to be a mom and have a career. You know, I was going to have it all.
0: There's a saying, man plans and God laughs. I think God is always laughing. <laughs> But growing up, when she was a teenager, Trisha didn't know that having babies isn't always as simple as the birds and the bees.
1: None of the women in my family went through IVF or any sort of treatment or were dealing with that.
0: You didn't consider infertility being a word that was a part of your life in any way.
1: Right. I knew it existed, but I didn't it didn't seem like something that I would have had to have dealt with.
0: So, you, you weren't worried? No. About ever getting pregnant?
1: No, no. I was actually worried at that time and at that age, I was worried about not getting pregnant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it real, right? right, huh? right. Yep. 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 <laughs> but by age 22, the word infertility slowly started creeping into Trisha's life. In college, Trisha got these really painful ovarian cysts. They're actually pretty common, and many women get them without even knowing it. But for some people, like Trisha, the cysts get larger and start to hurt and can even rupture.
1: I spent a lot of time just like clenching my fists in the doctor's office, crossing my fingers and hoping that it wasn't going to be surgery.
0: But Trisha did need surgery. The cysts were so persistent and severe that she had to get one of her ovaries removed. And after that, conversations about fertility were inevitable, even though she was still young.
1: Everybody has a story of a friend of a friend who had a similar thing done, but that they went on to have six children on their own. And doctors, they will tell you, especially when you're 22 years old, you know, oh, you're young, you won't have any issues. One ovary doesn't mean anything. You know, you can live off of one kidney for the rest of your life. You can do the same thing with an ovary. So that was my truth at the time was that, oh, I'm having an ovary removed because it needs to go. But that doesn't mean that anything is really changing for me.
0: But a few years later, things did start to change. In her late 20s, Doctors told Trisha that even though it shouldn't be a problem to get pregnant, it could take a while with just one ovary. So a year before Trisha and her husband got married, when she was 27, they officially started trying. What she calls it, the not planning, not preventing method.
1: We had had like a pretty frank talk about it. And so it was just one of those things where like, well, if it happens before, great.
0: But... It didn't happen. One year passes, no baby. 2 years pass. Still no baby.
1: I I say that I was blind to the term infertility, but it it was I think without us being aware of it, it was always something in the back of our heads that this might be something, but I think we were denying ourselves that.
0: After 3 years, they couldn't deny it anymore. They were getting worried. So they sought out a reproductive endocrinologist, a fertility specialist. That's when they learned that they really shouldn't have waited so long. In fact, a couple who has been trying for just one year without getting pregnant is given a diagnosis of infertility. We've just
1: been sort of trying and not preventing and all of that for a few years, not realizing that we should have sought treatment sooner.
0: Trisha's doctor recommended IUI, and we'll get into the details of that in a second. But before starting the medical procedure, Trisha realized for the first time that she probably would never conceive naturally. How did your husband react when he realized that having a baby wasn't going to be just some easy thing?
1: I I think he was a little worried about me and what that meant for me super supportive because we went into this choice that we were going to be parents. And if that meant seeing special doctors to get there, then he was
0: totally for it. So what did it mean for Trisha? What is the typical month of waiting
1: oh, and
0: hoping that this would yeah. be your month?
1: So frustrating because I want, you know, I want to be a mom so bad and going through this and, you know, you, you have to time everything right. And at the time, I just had to do one trigger
0: shot. Wait, 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 wait. Trigger shot? I'm not going to even try to explain it to you. But here's a real professional who can.
3: My name is Dr. Maka Euler. I am a reproductive endocrinologist with Fertility Centers of Illinois.
0: Dr. Euler is Trisha's current fertility doctor. And she's going to help us understand what IUI is.
3: So IUI stands for intrauterine insemination. So that is the process where a husband will give a sample. What we do in the laboratory, we will prep the sample, and we will separate out those sperm which are moving from not moving. That takes about an hour for our lab to do. Then we take the modal sperm and we put it into a little plastic catheter. And then we take the little plastic catheter and put it into the woman's uterus and put the sperm into the uterus. That takes about 10 minutes or so.
0: And the cost...
3: It's usually not just IUI that factors into the cost. Usually the woman is given a fertility drug. It could be an oral medication, which would be cheaper than an injection. There's also monitoring involved with ultrasounds and blood tests. So it's not usually just the IUI, but the IUI itself is going to run approximately five to
0: $700. So like Dr. Euler said, Tricia was given a fertility drug an injection she had to give herself was gonna go the trigger shot was gonna which is where we left off um, with trisha
1: the first uh, cycle we ever did i was sitting on the couch waiting for the time and i got the time and i was like okay here we go and i cleaned it off and <laughs> i look over at my at my husband brian brian's just sitting there and he's just he's got this this like <laughs> ghost look in his eyes he's just like panic eyes and like I think the color a little bit drained from his face and I'm like you're not helping you need to go and it took me a little bit to actually get the shot and I remember I put the needle and the syringe in the sharps container and I just went okay I don't have to do that again only I did
0: and with every new IUI cycle Trisha strapped in for a month-long emotional roller coaster from excitement to determination, hope to anticipation, fear to disappointment.
1: Well, it took me a long time to actually figure out how to cope with it. You know, unfortunately, I think that there's a lot more downs than there are ups in this process because there's no guarantee that the cycle that you just went through is going to work. And honestly, the worst part of any fertility treatment is that two-week wait.
0: The two-week wait is the period of time between a pregnancy attempt and when you can take a pregnancy test.
1: Like, I will put needles in my butt if that meant that there was a guarantee, but there isn't. And when all is said and done, you have these two weeks where you don't have anything to do. And so you're sitting there and you're just like, what if this doesn't work? What if we have to spend all that money again? In two weeks, you just sit and wait. And in two weeks, you come back, you get a pregnancy test. And that's when you find out.
0: After four IUI attempts, in June of 2013, Trisha finally found out some good news.
1: It's a weird situation to not find out, like, in your own bathroom peeing on a stick. Um, You go in the morning, you get blood work done, and in the afternoon you get a phone call and they tell you yes or no. And I was at lunch at my office. I was sitting in their cafeteria and I got a phone call and I wasn't sitting with anyone. I was by myself. And so I didn't know. I was like, I have to tell somebody right now. (laughs) And my husband at the time was at a job where he didn't have phone access and I'm not going to like leave a text message. And so I ran to my boss. I was like, "Okay, results are back. And she's like, I have to tell you, but you can't tell anybody else. I'm like I can't believe that you're the first person I'm telling. My husband might be really <laughs> mad at me right now, but I have to tell someone. And I told her, and it was super exciting. And then I immediately texted my husband, and I was like, "Okay, never mind. You need to answer your phone. I'm going to call you right now."
0: You could hold and, it. Could hold it.
1: Yeah, and this was all in a span of like two minutes. This all happened, <laughs> but it was it was so exciting. I remember coming home that night from work and meeting my husband, and I think we both cried. And we were so happy, so so happy.
0: But for Trisha and her husband, that happiness was short-lived. After the break, the ER visit that changed Trisha's life.
1: It is the worst club anyone can belong to, but you don't belong to it until you actually experience it. And women that I'd known for years that would come out and tell me, you know, this happened to me too. And I was just like, we talk all the time and... I never knew this, and and that's when I realized that not a lot of people talk about this.
0: That's next on The Trouble. So we left off with Trisha finding out she was pregnant. And things were going well. She had made it past the first trimester, the first 12 weeks, which statistically is the most likely time a woman will miscarry. In fact, 80% of miscarriages happened in the first trimester. And Trisha was a few weeks past that. She was at 17 weeks. She was even showing. I mean, everyone, family, friends, colleagues, knew that Trisha was having a baby.
1: I went to the bathroom. I was getting ready for bed. I brushed my teeth, washed my face, went and peed and came back, and there was a lot of blood. And I called my husband from the bathroom, and I remember I was just holding the piece of toilet paper, and next thing we know, we were in the ER. And I was there for four days in the hospital. They basically told me that night that it was likely that I was going to um, lose the baby. And then I had an ultrasound with a maternal fetal health doctor, which is a high-risk pregnancy doctor. The next morning, he confirmed it, that it wasn't going to happen. And then they didn't have to do anything. I was able to naturally deliver. And so they uh, they just basically induced me at 17 weeks. It was the, it was the hardest thing I've ever I've ever experienced in my life. I can remember almost every moment in that hospital in those four days time sort of stopped. I remember I could send text messages to people and I felt like that was so impersonal but I couldn't actually say it. I couldn't actually speak the words miscarriage. And I remember there's a nurse that kept using the term fetal or fetus or fetal parts. And I don't know what it was because I know biology. And I know that these are actual phrases. She wasn't being mean. But I remember being so triggered by those words and being like, no, can you you stop referring it to that? That makes it seem so like... Like, I'm getting a cyst removed instead of losing a baby. Can you just say baby? That's okay. I'm okay with that. And she wrote it on the board for future nurses and future staff members. She's like, it's a baby. You know, refer to baby as baby.
0: For a lot of women, one of the scariest things about having a miscarriage is why. Why did this happen to me? What could I have done differently? Unfortunately, for about 50% of miscarriages, the cause is unknown. But for Tricia, after running some tests, the ER doctors discovered something.
1: And it turns out that I have what's called cervical insufficiency. People used to call it incompetent cervix, so I always say that my cervix is just stupid.
0: Um, what kind of name is that? Incompetent cervix. I know. Don't get me started on the names
1: they give to these things. You get above a certain age and you're a geriatric maternal age. And I'm just like, I need to collect fertility AARP or something. <laughs> it's crazy. So cervical insufficiency, it's basically your your cervix won't hold too much weight. And there isn't anything really to cure it. There's a lot of things that will prevent pregnancy loss. Um, but it's something that doctors will have to keep an eye on. I didn't know I had it, obviously. There isn't a diagnostic test for it. So the only diagnostic test, unfortunately, is a pregnancy
0: loss. What was the most like following that loss?
1: Uh, terrible. <laughs> it took me a long time to sleep through the night. Um, but six days after my miscarriage, my stepdad had a heart attack and... Uh, Ended up passing away six weeks after that. Wow. And it was so weird because I remember feeling a little bit better on that day. And then my sister called me to tell me what had happened, and we all rushed over. And so I was dealing with the mental and physical recovery of what happened to me. And then I had to turn around and do that. And I don't think I handled it very well. <laughs> um, In what way? I wasn't taking care of myself because I wanted to make sure I was there for them. And it actually took my husband to basically put me on timeout. We were at Northwestern. We'd get in the car, and my sister had texted to see if we could keep my nephew overnight so she could stay at the hospital. And normally that wouldn't have been an issue for us. But I remember all of a sudden I looked at the text, and I just dropped my phone, and I was having a panic attack. And I was just breaking down. And— And he read the text and he basically, he's like, I want you to go home and I want you to sleep. And so I went home and I went to bed. I felt like I was failing them. And then on top of having to deal with grief on all of these sides was just an almost insurmountable hurdle.
0: How did you eventually recover or do you recover from that?
1: I would say that I'm recovered, but it never goes away. It just gets different. Because there are still times where I'll be driving, uh, and all of a sudden, my mind wanders to that moment, and then I just start crying. And this was years after the miscarriage, and it still sometimes happens. Mm. But your ability to move over that moment, that's how it gets different. And you learn, hopefully, you learn to cope with it in healthy ways. And and for my husband and I, it was seeking out a grief counselor who we still go to her to this day. And that was almost five years ago.
0: How is it watching your siblings having kids and other friends having kids? Is that, what's the feelings dealing with that
1: oh at first especially after the loss it was hard for me to be around anyone who was pregnant or anyone who had newborns there was one year a couple years ago I knew like 18 women who had gotten pregnant that year and it was, like, all of these Facebook posts or like, women I worked with. And I'm just, like, I would keep a tally, like, like a joking <laughs> tally with, like, a friend of mine. I was like, well, there's 18. Um, I had to deal with, like, this jealousy I started to feel. And it wasn't even their fault. Like, it was just this idea of when is it going to be my turn? Like, Like, what did I do? And I'm not one to believe in fate as like a construct of anything or the universe embraces you type of mentality, but it's funny what your mind does when you go through a trauma. Like, obviously, I did something to deserve all of these bad things that happened.
0: Did you ever, did you guys ever try anything like non traditional?
1: Oh, we've... I have anybody that gave me a tip. They're like, stick your legs up after. It's I sought acupuncture. I would do the herbs that they'd sell. Like, stay uh, like with your legs up against the wall for like a half an hour, 45 minutes. I've done all of that. I did not try this, but somebody told me that I needed to have sex on one of their specific couches because they've had house parties and two couples that have happened to sleep. On that specific couch throughout the years have gotten pregnant, and they can pinpoint it to when they were over staying the night after a party, and they got too drunk, and they had sex on that couch and I was like no that's that's a, i'm really okay with not doing that um, they're like, "This is the magic couch, and i'm like i'm never sitting on your couch again." <laughs>
0: It's like, can you tell me which couch that is? Because I come over your house on it. So I can uh, avoid
1: it
2: in the future. Uh-huh.
0: That's oh. funny. That's funny.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Trisha didn't try the magic couch, but she did seek out additional fertility treatments after the miscarriage. She says it took her three years after the loss to want to try treatments again. But in the fall of 2016, she and her husband decided to give the IUI thing another shot. They went through a few more IUI cycles, but none of them were successful. Then Trisha found out that her fallopian tube, the one to her lone ovary, was blocked. This put IVF as the only option left for her. What's the difference in costs with the IVF different from the IUI?
1: about 10 grand probably
0: about 10 grand difference yeah okay
1: for IVF it could be upwards of 10 to twelve thousand without prescription
0: without prescription when you add in medications IVF averages closer to twenty thousand. trust me I know and that's just for one cycle one attempt.
1: And part of the IVF process isn't going to be covered by insurance, no matter what insurance you have. And that's the cryo-preservation. So if you freeze any of your embryos, the initial cost of storing them, I personally was quoted $1,200 out of pocket directly.
0: Okay, I think it's a good time to bring Dr. Euler back and let her explain what exactly IVF is.
3: So the IVF process usually begins with fertility drugs that the patient administers to herself in the form of a very small injection. So the patient will usually take anywhere from two to three injections a day for two weeks. While she's on the injections, she will be monitored approximately every two to three days with blood tests and ultrasounds to see how she is responding to the medications. At the end of the approximately two weeks, then we will do her egg retrieval. That's where we take out her eggs. The patient is given some sedation. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes. It's done under ultrasound guidance. So then we put the eggs and the sperm together in the test tube, which is why it's called the test tube baby procedure. And then we transfer the embryo back to her a few days later.
0: And then the dreaded two-week wait.
3: Two weeks following the transfer is when the patient would come to our office and we would draw a blood pregnancy tests on her to see if she's pregnant or not
0: so Trisha is about to try what Dr. Euler just explained for the first time her insurance covers one round of IVF that's the plan one plan one last attempt Trisha has been on this journey to becoming a mother for almost 10 years now 10 years I remember with my first wife, we went through a miscarriage, and then she had multiple surgeries. And there were just so many complications and doctor's visits, it was hard to even keep track of time.
1: It's mind-boggling to me to to think about it in that sense and be like, we have been trying to carry a pregnancy to term for nine years. And then I have to acknowledge how old I am, and that just That makes it hard for me.
0: What's some of the emotions that come to mind when you think back on those nine years?
1: Oh, exhaustion, uh, frustration, um, elation, because it's there's still some happy moments in there. I mean,
0: Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: you know, even though the pregnancy, I, I had a miscarriage, I still got pregnant and I still remember how happy we were. And I will tell you, it took me until within the last year to actually accept that I was happy at that point. Yeah. But my emotions ran the gamut. I, uh, it, anxiety, lots of anxiety. I had unchecked generalized anxiety, um, a lot, a lot of frustration you want something so bad and no one can tell you that it's absolutely going to happen.
0: Was there ever a moment that you said, let's give up? Was there ever that moment?
1: Yeah. It was right, right after the miscarriage. I was like, no, I can't. There's no way. I, like, what's the point? Like, I can't put myself through that. I can't put my husband through that again. And and it goes back to was this a sign? Was this something that I should have been listening to all along? Mm. That I'm not supposed to be a mother or I'm not supposed to be a mother in this direction. And I was like, well maybe I'll be okay just being, you know, being an aunt. But there's just something about being a parent. There is just something about being a parent that I I I really really want. And all of that sounds really selfish when people talk about their desire to be parents, but it's it's I just I want to be able to have those experiences and have I I want to be a parent. I do. So, we'll take this road as far as it'll take us and then keep working toward it, I guess.
0: When you say this road, what is your plan going for?
1: I try not to think 5 or 6 steps ahead with fertility treatments anymore. So, I think about this cycle and this this time. And so we're going to go with IVF. And then if this cycle doesn't take and I get a negative pregnancy test, then we sit down and we talk Uh, and then we can decide, do we want to take a break and try again? Do we want to just push towards adoption? Are we done with this part of our lives? Is this is this it? I have to take it step by step, one step at a time.
0: After the break, we go with Trisha on that next step.
2: All is not completely lost. It's just a tougher circumstance and a tougher situation than a lot of people. <laughs> I thought I could do it.
0: Up next on the trouble, Trisha takes us with her through the IVF process and what happens at the end of that road. I'll be honest. When we set out to tell Trisha's story, I thought we'd have an ending by now. Months ago, when I first talked to Trisha, what you heard in the first part of the show, we made a plan to follow her through her final IVF attempt, then share it all with you until it reached an outcome. We asked Trisha to record her thoughts throughout every step of the process, and she made these audio diaries. This is just blood
1: work. It's not... Anything too strenuous or anything like that.
0: This is um, Trisha oh, on May 8th anyway. before her first IVF appointment.
1: I don't know how this process goes. I feel like I have done so much research and yet I'm still sitting here and I feel blind to
0: it in in a way. The months pass, and Trisha kept recording.
1: <sighs> so eight vials later, I am done with bud work. I've donated. Blood and it before. pretty
0: much continued like this for a while.
1: I'm interested to see what this appointment will this be. This is where we discuss next steps, and I'm hoping... This what- appointment is brand new in the whole infertility process. We had to do these internet learning modules. They're doing a trial transfer, and I'll be honest, I don't think I asked enough questions because I don't know what that means.
0: In and out of appointments...
1: I'm about five minutes before my appointment. So I'll find that out in a phone call later this afternoon. Another recording after the appointment. Um, this is the recording after I got my results phone call. I am very happy with the outcome of that appointment.
0: Ups and downs.
1: Um, so I'm excited. I sound happy, but I'm really anxious. So there's a bundle of emotions. <laughs> I think I'm exhausted. This wait and see has <laughs> really got me a little antsy.
0: Important decisions?
1: We had to make decisions about embryos that weren't viable for transfer. Signing the decision if I die. my husband died. Signing for the decision if we both die. In the event that we get divorced. Then it was signing for the decision if I turned 51 and we had embryos left. I would have never in a million years imagined myself having a conversation with my partner about what to do with embryos we aren't using. I laughed a little bit when she was asking these questions, and they're serious scenarios.
0: Trisha was ready to go. But like everything in Trisha's fertility journey, the process didn't go as planned.
1: There are currently three ovarian cysts, all ranging from about 13 millimeters to about 53 millimeters. And it was determined that there was no surgical intervention that could be done because of my history, because of everything I have been through. And so now I am stuck with the very, very, very real possibility that IVF is never going to work for me. I just don't know what else to do. And it's right now I feel like
2: I want to throw in the towel and just call it a wash and
1: So now my mind is doing the what-ifs. It's like, what if I took care of myself and I wasn't overweight? What if I listened to my body when I was 19 or when I was in my early 20s? Maybe I would still have my ovary. Maybe I would have two functioning ovaries to deal with. That would give the appropriate number of follicles, that will give the appropriate number of eggs, that will turn into the appropriate number of embryos.
2: But I can't do that because these are choices that I've made. These are all of those things that I'm supposed to be okay with. Ugh. I'm actually really sick of walking out of doctor's offices and crying because of bad news. And it's not entirely bad news. It's not like they told me that IVF wasn't
1: going to work. The doctor specifically stated she still wanted to pursue it because there's still the chance there and she still wants to see what would happen because it's not... All is not completely lost. It's just a tougher circumstance and a tougher situation than
2: a lot of people. Then I went to this appointment alone. I thought I could do it by myself, but I really could use my husband. I could just really use a hug right now. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's just really frustrating when you have these dreams and you the things that you really, really want. The things that other people can get so easily. I'm just thinking I'm really selfish right now and I should probably just be grateful for the things that I have. But for right now, I'm just going to be upset. <laughs> just for this drive home from the doctor's office and then and then I'll just breathe and see what happens because this isn't supposed to be an easy process this is in vitro fertilization is not an easy process it's frustrating and it's time consuming and it's exhausting more than anything but am I really supposed to be doing this Okay. Okay, I'm
0: going to go now. The doctor monitored Trisha's cysts closely, hoping they would shrink on their own. And a month later, they did, which meant...
1: So I get to start IVF cycle this month. I start injections on Tuesday. So I have to call the And
0: Tricia, as you can imagine... Pharmacy. Was ready as ever.
1: Ah, this is just, I'm living in the excitement because I'm one step closer and there's, it's, it's not over. I, I'm hopeful again and that feels really good.
0: So Trisha started the injections, the hormones, the medicine to get her body prepared. But about two weeks later, she faced yet another bump in the road. The doctor found polyps on her uterus.
1: It's like the moment I get really excited about this process, and the moment I get excited about the prospect of getting pregnant, something happens. Something inevitably happens that I have to cancel the process. I have to stop. I have to wait. And I'm I'm just, I'm... (laughs) I'm sick of waiting.
2: And why can't I do the one thing my uterus is made to do? Like, why? Why do I have to jump through all these hoops? Just. I feel like my body is failing me.
0: at this point the process was delayed again because trisha had to get the polyps removed once again hopes up and hopes crushed eventually trisha was able to do the egg retrieval and the doctor successfully retrieved seven eggs but a few days later after the eggs were fertilized Tricia found out there was only one viable embryo. I'm trying not to be pessimistic,
1: and I'm trying to think on the positive, which is we have one, and all we need is one embryo. But it still hurts. There's still a loss there. There's... There's this incredible void... because I know the success rate of one embryo and it is not great. It's just not. I have maybe a 35 or 40% success rate to get pregnant on the first try. That's not great. And I'm
2: sorry, but I don't have a lot of experience of being
1: on the success side I'm just really
0: bummed. 2 months later, Trisha finally got approval for a date for an embryo transfer. That one embryo transfer. And she's trying to be hopeful about it.
1: And now it's for real. It's going to happen. I'm excited. I'm trying not to think too far ahead.
0: Because she's been here before. I'm just waiting for another hurdle or bump in the road, as I'm apt to do. Trisha really doesn't know what's going to happen. As she's learned by now, it's out of her control. All she can do is wait and deal with the process the best she knows how.
1: There's a lot of sad in this process, but the outcome is so worth it. At least that's what people tell me.
0: We'll promise to update you as soon as we know more. But for now, I have to press pause on Trisha's story. And let time, the thing we can't manipulate or conquer as much as we try to, take its own course. All right.
1: Here goes Nothing.
0: The Trouble is a production of WBZ Chicago. I'm Shannon Kaysen. The producer is Candace Matteo Kahn. The executive producer is Brendan Benazek. Connect with us on social. We're at The Trouble Pod on Twitter. Or you can shoot us a note at thetroublepod at gmail.com. Also follow me. I'm at Shannon Kaysen. Subscribe to The Trouble on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to these things. And make sure you give the trouble your best rating. We'll see you next time. And whatever you do, you know what I'm going to say try, you know? Try to stay out of it.